Good evening, church. Amen. Praise the Lord. Are we ready to praise God tonight? Amen. Amen. Well, before I get into my scripture, I just wanted to bring a little bit of trivia to you guys. Something that some people may already know, some may not know. But there's a phrase that we use as, as, as children of God. We use the phrase, hallelujah. And a lot of people don't know what that means. So I just want to tell you tonight what it means in Hebrew is praise the Lord. So when we say hallelujah, we're saying praise the Lord in Hebrew. So I just wanted you to know that because we say it a lot, and I want us to continue to say that because hallelujah, praise the Lord. Amen? Amen. All right. And the scripture I got for you tonight, there's a reason why I brought that up. Scripture says this. Praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty firmament. Praise Him for His mighty acts. Praise Him according to His excellent greatness. Praise Him with the sound of the trumpet. Praise Him with the lute and harp. Praise Him with the timbrel and dance. Woohoo! Praise Him with stringed instruments and flutes. Praise Him with loud cymbals. Praise Him with clashing cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Amen? Amen. All right, let's stand up, we'll pray, and then we'll get into some praise and worship. All right. Father, we just thank you. We thank you for this, this wonderful time you've given us to be able to come together and to fellowship and to praise you and to honor you. Lord, we thank you for our lives and for your love. We thank you for everything that you're doing in our lives. Lord, tonight I just pray that you would bless these people, Lord, for showing up and coming together in this place. Lord, I pray for your church tonight, Lord, that they would be strengthened and encouraged. Lord, we, we see the world and we know the times. Lord, I pray tonight, Lord, that you would just continue to give us every opportunity to, to tell people about who you are and to share your love, not just in our voices, but in our actions. Lord, tonight I pray for this worship team, that you would just bless them and Give them the strength, the courage, and the wisdom to bring us into that wonderful place of worship. Lord, tonight I pray for our hearts and minds to be prepared to be focused on you. We thank you, we praise you, and we honor you. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's all remain standing as we bring our praises to the Lord tonight.
nations Come lay them down at the foot of the cross Jesus is waiting God so loved the world If he's touched your life, give him praise tonight This is the body this is the blood broken and poured out for all of us. And in this communion, we share in His love. This is the body.
bless your name tonight, Lord. Lord, we celebrate you. What a sacrifice you made for us, Lord, that you would willingly lay down your life for any of us. And not just any of us, but all of us, Lord. We thank you. We praise you tonight. We lift up your name. He became sin who knew no sin that we might become his righteousness. He humbled himself, carried the cross, love so
Shame is on. 
Lord, let your presence be here tonight. We lift you up. We love you so much.
Father, thank you so much for everything that you do for us, Lord God. Thank you for this time you give us to come together, Lord God, and fellowship and fellowship with you, Lord, to lift up your name, Lord, and worship you. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are a good, good Father, Lord, and that we are loved by you. And I know that each and every one of us here loves you, Lord everything in us, Lord. Heavenly Father, I lift up the, the service tonight to you, Lord God. I lift up the prayer service to you that it will all go according to your will, Lord. Again, I thank you for everything that you do for us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I remember as I first became a believer, I studied the Word and was taught many things. But one of the things that I remember very strongly was that when Israel would go in to conquer someplace by the power of God, they would worship first. 
because they knew they were overcomers. They knew they were going to overcome. So the worship came first because he was worthy of that worship. Amen? Amen. Amen. I love time of praise and worship. So now we're going to uh, have our brother Mark come and bring a prayer. Uh, but before he brings a prayer, I have a question for you. Yes, I do, Kevin. I have a question for you. Why did the chimp sell his banana store? He was tired of the monkey business. <laughs> the prophet Isaiah brought us a lot from the Lord. And he would come and he started off with, you know, he started off by saying, I'm a man of unclean lips. Along about chapter... 40, he, he says this, Do you not know, have you not heard, the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, does not become weary or tired. His understanding is inscrutable. That means you can't examine it. He gives strength to the weary, and to him who lacks might, he increases power. Though youths grow weary and tired, and vigorous young men stumble badly. Yet those who wait on the Lord will gain new strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles, and they will run and not get tired. They will walk and not become weary. Amen? We have a, an amazing God that when we come to Him, He does not grow weary of our requests, he does not grow faint-hearted at our, at our stumblings, but He increases. He increases our understanding of Him. He increases our faith. And He gives us what we need. And tonight we, we come before that God. We come before Him with our praises and with our prayers. And I ask that you would join in now as we, as we go to Him in prayer. Father, we come to you as men who stumble. We come to you with, as men and women who, Father, we get upset and we get discouraged and sometimes we lash out at our circumstances and those around us. Father, forgive us. Father, bring us an understanding of the, of the power that you give us to control our words to control our, our every aspect of our life because you've allowed us to overcome sin and you give us strength and might. Help us, Father, to be peacemakers, to go to our brothers and sisters and confess our wrongs, to ask for forgiveness. Father, we rejoice that you have looked after us and that you you brought us out of the miry clay, not because of who we are, but because of who you are. And we just ask, Lord God, that as we prepare our hearts right now, as we prepare to listen to your word, that you would, that you would be guiding Seku and all that he has to bring towards us. We thank you, Father, for the the praise reports that we heard earlier. And we ask, Lord God, that you, would, that you would continue to work in our lives. 
Give us just another day to proclaim your glory, Lord. We praise you that you are working in the lives of our sons and our daughters, of our parents, of our brothers and sisters. And we ask, Lord, that you would speak to them. We know that you love them more than we do. And that you are inviting those that don't know you, those of our family who don't know you, that you're inviting them to draw near to you. Father, we become weary of doing what is right. Our hearts tug at us to move in a different direction. And we praise you that you give us the strength, that you give us the might through your Spirit to overcome and to continually praise you. And that that power is never-ending because you are the everlasting God, the one who holds us in your hands, the one who covers us with your wings. We ask, Lord, that as we, as we think even now that we look for that goodness that you have poured out on us and that we would walk in your paths of righteousness knowing that with your strength we will not be weary. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. I remember when I first uh, when I was a young Christian again, um, there was a, a pastor that used to come and preach revival at our church every once in a while. And I remember he had this finger that was like six feet long. And when he would preach, it was constantly like that. And he felt like he was pointing right at you. But one of the questions he would ask when he would start was, how do you spell revival? And many people would stop and say, R-E-V. And he said, no, no. says, this is how you spell revival. P-R-A-Y. Pray. So as we just heard that prayer, I just want to remind you that pray for your brothers and sisters during the week. Pray for one another. It's important that you do that because it, uh, it brings the hand of God working in their lives as well as in yours. Amen? It also Amen. makes you a little stronger. I know. I try to pray a lot. Anyways, this is the time when we uh, ask our brother Seku to come and break the bread of life for us. And so before he does, I have a question, Kevin, for everybody and you. So my question is, what do pigs go see when they go to the ballet? Swine Lake. Swine Lake. Praise the Lord. <laughs> waka waka. <laughs> um, well, praise God. It's good to be with y'all and good to see everybody well fed and smiling. And uh, um, before we start, I'm going to have to say that um, faith comes by hearing, but sometimes uh, visual representation makes a strong memory. So. I had this inclination given to me to create a visual presentation to go with this, kind of like what Mark does, but Mark's a little bit more tech savvy. And at lunch, I said, well, we'll get this done in 20 minutes. <laughs> no, no, it doesn't work like that. So <laughs> um, if you have your Bible, turn to 1 Samuel chapter 15, 1 Samuel chapter 15. 
We're going to be reading 14 verses out of 1 Samuel chapter 15, and we're going to be talking about rebellion. Um, obviously, those of y'all that are seeing the board uh, know the general idea of where this TV show came from, where it usually starts with this bad boy getting in trouble in class and he has the right, it's a different saying every week. But you see the recurring message, I will not chew bubblegum in class. I will not chew bubblegum in class. I will not chew bubblegum in class. How many of y'all ever had to do that in, in grade school? And then eventually when he thinks the teacher isn't watching, I will chew bubblegum. I will chew bubblegum in class. I will, you're not the boss of me. How many of us have ever felt like that? How many of us have ever had an attitude like that? Well, for those of y'all that have, and those of y'all that did not want to admit that you have, today we're going to be talking about rebellion. Now, I gotta figure out how to turn this because I'm not as savvy with this as, gotta turn it on. Am I supposed to turn it on? Yes. You know, there's a reason why we do things the old school way. You'll have to show me how to turn this on. You're not the boss of me. <laughs> well, that's good to know. So now we don't have to stare at that for the whole entire time. So if you see his attitude, what are we going to talk about today? Not chewing gum. And definitely don't do that in here if you don't want or upset with you. Well, let's see if we figure it out. If you have 1 Samuel chapter 15, let's stand in, re in the honor of reading God's word, and we're going to read verses 10 through 24. The word of the Lord reads, Now the word of the Lord came to Samuel, saying, I greatly regret that I have set up Saul as king, for he has turned back from following me, and has not performed my commandments. And it grieved Samuel, and he cried out to the Lord all night. So when Samuel rose early in the morning to meet Saul, it was told Samuel, saying, Saul went to Carmel, and indeed he set up a monument for himself, and he has gone on around, passed by, and gone down to Gilgal. Then Samuel said to the Lord, or sa then Samuel went to Saul, and Saul said to him, Blessed are you of the Lord. I have performed the commandment of the Lord. But Samuel said, What then is this bleeding of sheep in my ears, and the lowing of oxen which I hear? And Saul said, They have brought them from the Amalekites, for the people spared the best of the sheep and the oxen to sacrifice to the Lord your God, your God. And the rest we have utterly destroyed. Then Samuel said to Saul, Be quiet, and I will tell you what the Lord said to me last night. And he said, Speak on. So Samuel said, When you were little in your own eyes, were you not the head of the tribes of Israel? And did not the Lord anoint you king over Israel? Now the Lord sent you on a mission and said, Go and utterly destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, and go fight against them until they are consumed. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you swoop down on the spoil and do evil in the sight of the Lord? And Saul said to Samuel, But I have obeyed the voice of the Lord and gone on a mission on which the Lord has sent me and brought back Agag, king of Amalek. I have utterly destroyed the Amalekites, but the people took the plunder, sheep and oxen, and the best of the things which should have been utterly destroyed to sacrifice to the Lord your God in Gilgal. So Samuel said, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? 
Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you from being king. Then, Samuel, then Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned, for I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord and your words, because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you for your word, and we pray that tonight as we go through your word, that your spirit speaks to each and every one of us, that you heal us, that you restore us and make us whole, but also, Lord, that you show us what we need for you to work on so that we can draw near to you and have peace with you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. So if you didn't know, or if you guessed, today we're going to be talking about Bart Simpson. Oh, I went backwards. Now you guys got to fix it. So what do you guys think we're talking about? Rebellion. We are talking about rebellion. Now for those of y'all that don't know, I am a huge nerd and I love Star Wars, so some of these puns are very Star Warsy. But Star Wars is about rebellion. As a matter of fact, the protagonists in the movie series is generally, they call themselves the Rebellion. And their whole point is that they're rebelling against the empire, that there is something that is trampling on their well-being, on their right to live, on their values, and they have to rise up and stand against it, both as a group and as individuals. So today in talking about rebellion, uh, first and foremost, to acknowledge what the word means. Rebellion comes from um, Latin, rebeo, among the Romans, rebellion was originally a revolt or open resistance to their government by nations that had been subdued in war. It was a renewed war. It also goes on further to define it as an open or avowed renunciation of authority of government to which one owes allegiance or the taking of arms traitorously to resist the authority of lawful government to revolt. Number two, open resistance to lawful authority. Rebels are rebelling against a perceived evidence of an empirical rule. In other words, they are battling with something they think is not right. Whether or not it is right or not, it is their perception of it, therefore they are battling against it. Yes, and if you see all the different names in the hand, that is pretty much, if you ever think like, I gotta defeat, I gotta defose, I gotta disavow, I got it, all that is rebellious song. Rebels reject allegiance and choose instead to stand and strive to validate their own values. We have seen this in the United States where a British colony eventually decided to oppose British rule and that is how we became who we are now today as the United States was because of a rebellion. However, we won the rebellion, therefore it's called a revolution. So the difference between a revolution and a rebellion is a revolution won and a rebellion generally failed. There are legitimate and illegitimate rebellions. If you see on the board that picture, you could recognize them easily from history as what kind of soldiers? Union soldiers. And so here is after the rebellion slash revolutionary war, and now we have a civil war in which the South rebelled against the North. Obviously, they didn't win. Therefore, it's still called a rebellion. There are some rebellions that are legitimate. 
because there is powers that are defiant of human rights. And then there are some rebellions that are illegitimate because we perceive them to be wrong and we don't agree with them, therefore we decide to step away and do our own thing. There is a warning in all of this. Jeremiah 17, 9 says, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked, who can know it? So the first thing you wanna do before you say, I'm gonna rebel against whatever it is, is a heart check, is to make sure, is this pride and ego, or is this a righteous or legitimate cause? And I want to draw your attention to two words. Number one, deceitful is the Hebrew word akobe. It means annul. In, as, in other words, something that swells up. Something that swells up. We call that pride. Des desperately wicked is the word anash, which is to be frail or feeble. Can you imagine? Have you guys seen those Gold's Gym people? especially, you know, the diehard ones, and they only show you from the, 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 the belly up. They're all swole and, you know, but they got these little chicken legs. And so if you ever get into a fight with one of these muscular Gold's Gyms guys, you don't go toe-to-toe -to -toe with them. You go and sweep their feet because they don't work on their legs. They're top-heavy. They will fall over. They, they, they invested in this, and they didn't invest in stability. Well, that's the human heart. We will swell up with nothing behind it to support it. We used to call that writing a check you can't cash. How many times have we done that in life? How many times have we decided to do rebellion and then notice that we don't have anything to really back it? How many times have we ever sell wolf tickets and then realize that maybe this person isn't the person I wanna mouth off to <laughs> and we end up leaving the, the whatever setting it is with a nice black eye? The focus of this text that we read is in the very tough words that Samuel the prophet spoke to Saul. He said, rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you from being king. Those are tough words. In other words, he didn't mince words and say, Saul, you were just misled. He called it rebellion. And it wasn't rebellion against the people. It was rebellion against God. And he said it's the same as witchcraft. In other words, you're trying to have something, the power of something, without the authority of something. So there are some subtle and not so subtle ways of rebellion against God. But poor Saul's, well, Saul's rebellion was not so very subtle. So we're looking at Saul's example. He was told to do what? Utterly wipe out the Amalekites. Now, before we get upset and go, well, wait a minute, you know, that's, that's kind of rough. The Amalekites had tortured, tormented, sometimes cowardly Israel from the time it left Egypt. They had been a thorn in their side. Imagine this. I'm not touching you. Touching me. I'm not touching, touching you. Me. How much of a distraction is this? This is the Amalekites. They didn't directly attack them. More often than not, it was some of this and, and a little bit of, oh, you're going to worship God? Well, I'm, I'm just going to interfere and get in your way. And eventually God says, enough. Enough. I want this irritant to our peace removed. Go and utterly destroy the Amalekites. 
The scripture says, thus says the Lord of hosts, I will, I will punish Amalek for what he did to Israel, how he ambushed him on the way when he came up from Egypt. Now go and attack Amalek and utterly destroy all that they have and do not spare them. But kill both man and woman, infant and nursing child, ox and sheep, camel and donkey. Get rid of them all. That's tough. But that's the level of disrespect and destruction that they had welded on Israel the whole entire time. So Saul goes out. And he says, I'm going to keep what I feel matters. Because my prophet is important. God says our peace is important, and Saul says my prophet is important. And the verse says Saul attacked the Amalekites from Havilah all the way to Shur, which is east of Egypt. He also took Agag, king of the Amalekites, alive and utterly destroyed all the people with the edge of the sword. But Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep and the oxen and the fatlings and the lambs and all that was good and were unwilling to utterly destroy them. What did God say? So now we have a separation, a disagreement and a separation. But everything despised and worthless that they have, that they utterly destroyed. Have we ever had this moment in our life where God says, I want you to completely get rid of something and you says, ah, I'll keep the good stuff. We won't meddle with that. We need to keep going. I want a timer. <laughs> So we have a disagreement, and that's the start of rebellion. It starts with a disagreement. Can two walk together unless they be in agreement? No. So now my values and your values are different. And in order for me to protect my values, I either need to convert you or I need to separate from you, which means the second part, or the first part, let's go on until this is new. When you have a perceived vulnerability and you recognize a threat and you will recognize that threat as a superior power, something that has the ability to affect your livelihood. Now you start to rebel against that thing when you feel it does not care for your concerns like you would. If you look at power or authority, because uh, we read the description and it talks about governments and things like that, but if the, if the Christian mantra, what God tells us is to submit to one another, and we decide that we want to rebel from one another is usually because I see that other person as a power that's going to disrespect my values. Therefore, I need to protect my values. We need to split ways. I'm not saying we do. I'm just saying that as an example. Therefore, one rebels against the authority crushing their values. Before you break any of the commandments of God, what do you have to break? Think about that. When you get past disagreement, you work towards disengagement. And I hope that in seeing this, you can see rebellion not only against uh, God, but you can see it against proper authority, whether it's brothers or sisters or people that we know or officers. Let me move on. Disengagement. Attitudes and actions of separation. You start to distance yourself from that which you don't agree with. Then leads to defending your values against something that you think is going to attack them. And then you finally get from the point of defending to offending, to going after that thing which is coming after you. How many of y'all have an answer to this question? 
before you break any commandment, you have to break the first commandment. And the first commandment is what? I shall have no other gods before me. So in order to rebel, you have to first rebel against God. Then you can rebel against his commandments. What is the source of rebellion, though? Because if you really want to attack something, you have to know the source. So let's talk about the source. The word for uh, rebellion is meri, which is bitterness. That is figuratively rebellion. This is from the Strong's, if you ever want to look it up, and it's 4805. Meri means bitterness. It comes from a root that means to make bitter or unpleasant, figuratively to rebel or resist, causatively to provoke. In other words, there is something that does not, it upsets you, it doesn't sit right with you, and it causes bitterness, and that bitterness starts to lead you towards rebellion. Food for thought. This is Miriam. This is obviously a very stylized, more European picture of Miriam. But anyway, uh, <laughs> this is Miriam. Miriam in Hebrew. Miriam is a sister of Moses. Her name comes from the same word, rebellion. You know who else is named Miriam in the Bible? Jesus' mother. Mary is our stylized name of it, but her Hebrew name is Miriam. Also means rebellious. It's very interesting in the fact that our Savior came from a name that means to rebel, but instead of rebelling against God, it's a rebellion against the ways of fallen man. And now you know. This was really supposed to mess with uh, Kevin because it says the mo you know, but. <laughs> I got to have some fun with it because this can't be a heavy subject. Bitterness fuels rebellion and is the antithesis of surrender, of submission, and unity. I, I know we have fathers and sons in here and parents and children in here right now, parents and grown children. Let me make that clear in case we have people that are listening online going, wait a minute. Uh, but think about it. When we as kids are bitter against our parents because we don't like what they're telling us to do, what do we usually end up doing? My dad, when I was younger, if you don't like my rules, you can leave. Bye. <laughs> I would rather spend nights, not homeless, but in an uninsulated attic in the middle of December and January in Minneapolis, Minnesota, than go home to what I felt was a tyrant. Now, was he a tyrant or was he a man just stressed out with two very rebellious and tough, rambunctious kids that he was taking care of on his own? We perceived that our dad was a tyrant. I'm sorry, Anthony. <laughs> I'm sorry. Because <laughs> oh, look, the, the two people with parents here are like, mm -hmm. <laughs> anyway. Uh, <laughs> but there's, we can be real in here. So bitterness fuels that. When you want to rebel against something, check the attitude that's behind it and see if it's not bitterness. If it's not bitterness, this thing to fast forward. You know those commercials, you know, if you take this, if for symptoms of this, that. Well, bitterness, symptoms include moods like being annoyed, disappointed, irritable, and you can feel hurt, angry, distrustful, resentful. And the actions include passive-aggressive behavior, hostility, being withdrawn, 
running away to Mustafar. Some of you guys are going, what is Mustafar? It's, it's a place where somebody lost their right mind and became a very dark individual. So anyways, we're not really talking about rebellion. We're talking about bitterness. Look, 30% of the congregation is like, we know who that is. And the rest are going, I don't get it. <laughs> and now that I think about it, because Anthony is supposed to watch this movie with his parents, so I'm sorry, but that is Anakin Skywalker <laughs> before he became Darth Vader. Saul's reason for rebellion was to please the people that were around him and to protect his image. This is a conundrum that he's in because it's never real. Uh, my brother is, is uh, DJ Ruthless Ramsey. I consider him a legend. Most people consider him a legend. And that's great because, you know, he has to live up to that. I am, my name is IR12 when it comes to DJing. I am more of a myth. The difference between a myth and a legend is that you have to live up to being a legend because people are always expecting you to live up to that standard. But being a myth, nobody knows who you are. So I don't have to live up to anything <laughs> as far as the DJing. But Saul was head and shoulders above all the people that were around him. He had to live up to that image. And he considered himself little. This is what uh, Samuel is telling him. But yet he, before he was king, was considered a leader among the people. And now he is king, but now he has to live up to an image. Saul's root of bitterness is that his image is an idol that denies himself from being who he really is. Saul's confession to Samuel is recorded in 1 Samuel 15:24. Uh, he says to Samuel, I have sinned, for I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord and your words. Why? Because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. Fear is a dangerous thing because fear, what you fear, has power over you. The other day, most of y'all know one of my greatest fears which is really stupid, but one of my biggest fears is what? Closed spaces and cremation ovens, but that's a whole different thing. There's a reason for that. Um, bees. I absolutely do not do bees. I can't, I can't. No, the bees, no. Anything that stings, wasps especially. Bees, it's suicide. Wasp is just pure aggression. So I don't want to deal with any of them. But the other morning, I, I had some syrup water, soda water, whatever, spilt it in a trash bag, didn't even realize the bag was open, sitting there cleaning the back in the bathroom and just mopping and doing whatever, and a bee comes in. And as soon as the bee comes in, because I have the door open, it's nice weather, the bee comes in and say, who closes the other door and goes into the main room? I'm done cleaning. I want no parts of the bee. And then I go back to look to see if he's gone, and lo and behold, he's got company. Now I'm really upset because I'm like, oh, come on now, I got, I got things to do. Eventually, I worked up the nerve to calmly snatch the bag and take the bag out to the trash and then spray down the back of the house and mop the floor to get rid of the sugar that was attracting the bees. But they terrify me. They give me fear. Actually, I fear them. Therefore, they have power over me. So instead of me cleaning, me was running and the bees were doing whatever they want to do. What you fear has power over you. What you fear. And the difference is, do you fear God from the standpoint of reverencing him as the awesome power in your life, but by the same token, he is caring for you? Or do you fear 
that God is trying to take things away from you and not let you have any fun. Who do we fear? Or what do we reference? And whose values do we choose to uphold? Hebrews 12, 14, and 15 says, Pursue peace with all people and holiness, holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. Looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble. And by this, many become defiled. It's the attitude that the writer is warning about. When you get bitterness swelling up in an individual, they tend to think that their rights are being impeded on and tend to withdraw so that they can be protected. And when you get bitterness among a group of people, you start getting church splits. I don't think the pastor should be preaching that. He ain't got no business meddling like that. Why can't he just shut up and preach the feel-good stuff? Why has he always got to talk about this bitterness and stuff like that? And that very root of bitterness in the church is separating the church because they're not getting what they want. Do they value what God values in their life? Or do they value what they value in their life? So for each, each and every one of us, we have to address and correct bitterness in us individually. Yeah. What is, <laughs> what is rebellion, masked unforgiveness and irreverence? We also have to do what, uh, work on what bitterness is in us corporately, which causes all of us to stand up and start to rebel against an authority, except that authority is God. I saw this, and I, I was absolutely floored by it. My grandma had me read about Nelson Mandela many years ago, many, many years ago, and it was just marvelous. If you haven't ever read his story, you should read what he went through, he was imprisoned for many decades because he stood up for civil rights in South Africa. And eventually, when South Africa was uh, freed, so to speak, he was freed. And what he said was, as I walked out that door toward the gate that would lead to my freedom, I knew if I didn't leave my bitterness and hatred behind, I'd still be in prison. And some of us have walked out of the prison gates, but kept what imprisoned us as we left. Because we're bitter against the authority. We're bitter against accusers. We're bitter against God. Because if you're such a loving God, why would you allow me to be in this position in the first place? That's a little too real. And the devil absolutely loves that. Because he can water that bitterness and water that bitterness and come with those stupid questions. Hath God said, thou shalt not? If you be the son of God, you should be able to do what you want. Does that, does that sound familiar? What is the remedy then? How do we, and we only touched the surface on it, but how do we start eliminating bitterness in our life? First and foremost is to address it and not to cover it up and act like, oh, I'm just grumpy. Oh, I'm just angry. I'm just moody right now. No, you're bitter. Amon, a good friend of mine, when my daughter was going through a situation in California, I was locked up. It's helpless to do anything with your kids and you love your kids when you are locked up. No matter what the reasons are, 
You, you can ignore, oh, it's my fault, whatever the case may be. No, all you know is in that moment, my kids are in trouble. And so I get this call that my daughter is picked up in California. What she was picked up in was pretty bad, but the situation resulted in a lot of arrests and her being returned home, and she was only 14 years old. I hear this in prison, and I am freaking out. I'm walking around the track just, I want to blow up California, and if you're ever from California, I apologize. But I was on one that day. I want to blow up California. I want to drop it off. The I understand what uh, uh, Keenan Mayer or whatever his name is when he sang that song about California. I completely understood that. Don't ever look that song up. It's bad. And so we're walking around the track. Some good brothers are letting me vent. One brother is very quiet. And we get around the track a couple times, and Amon finally speaks up in, in his Amon way, for those of y'all that know him. Yeah, you better do something about that bitterness. That's the only thing he said while we were walking around the track. He was supportive, but he did not let the bitterness slide. Because if I allowed that to fester, that would have become dangerous. Because I'm sitting at a table with black people. You know how many white pimps I ever saw when I was in prison? Zero. You know how many Mexican pimps I ever saw? Zero. Any Native American pimps? Zero. You know where they all sat? At my table! <laughs> they were part of the problem that my daughter was wrapped up in. So I got to hear them talk, and I'm just like, I killed every single one of them. But then I'd be doing more time. If I could only hide the bodies. <laughs> and they don't allow us to have trunks in prison. And that's not even healthy thinking. I needed a remedy. Number one, I needed to repent and reunite with God and submit that he knows his ways are above my ways, his thoughts are above my thoughts, and that he is a good, good father. And I need to turn from my stinking thinking and be reunited to his. Repentance places our father's truth and values as priority. If he says this is wrong, it is wrong. Most people think that I have to not like something in order to repent. God didn't say if you don't like it, then call it bad. He said call it sin. We'll deal with the liking later. Call it sin. Most people will not repent from certain problems because they think I still like it, therefore I'm not really repenting. Repenting is confessing along with God that this is sin. He says, confess that it is sin, acknowledge that it is sin, even if you like it, and then we'll deal with the liking. But start recognizing truth first. Then you have to change your focus and challenge the messages that you're hearing. Um, we were doing a, a women's meeting once a month here for the women that are supporting the guys. Um, most of y'all knew about it, some of y'all don't. But it's a chance because guys are often in the forefront, especially in this situation. They get all the attention. And most of the wives, mothers, sisters, friends, or whatever, are usually in the background. When it comes to probation, they're in the background. When it comes to their own families, they're in the background. And so now we, the women who are uh, supportive of the guys here meet and kick me out the house. And one of the concerns that I had, which I, I, I said that the... Um, the, the mission is much bigger than the concern. But one of the concerns that I have oftentimes, and I've seen this before in churches where they're more shallow, um, like one I 
used to preach in and they didn't really think that this would be a problem and next thing you know it's a problem is that misery loves company misery loves company so if you get one person kvetching and crying and hollering about kvetching is a yiddish word for complaining uh crying about how bad it is then usually everybody else will start talking about how bad it is and next thing you know everybody starts hating their husbands or hating their wives but the goal was to bring people together to support one another and to realize that they have challenges, but they can work through and understand what challenges each and every one is going through. But that's not just a woman issue because men are some of the biggest crybabies I have ever seen. Women are just more clever about it, but men are just, just blatant. Just, oh man, no man, 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 all miserable looking and all that. You know, and then they, they want to fight and all that, and it's just more separation. Instead of covering and dealing with what is really going on, I'm just bitter. And I need to turn to God and repent of my bitterness. First John 1, 1 through 4, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and now is now already in the world. You are of God, little children, and have overcome them because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. When you get your mind back focused, it's not the world is crushing little me because now you realize that he who is in you is bigger than the world. So that does not make you a little you anymore. When Jesus was going through and Pontius Pilate was talking about power, Jesus said, you would have no power over me unless my father gives it to you. Have we ever had that mentality that the only thing that has power over us as Christians born again and brought by the blood of Jesus and filled with the same spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead, the only thing that would have power over us is either A, what God would allow, or B, what we rebel with and try to step over and dabble into. The second thing is to receive and remember the goodness of God. We just saying he's a good, good father. It's that reminder of that to remember, wait a minute, I serve a good God. Yet while we were sinners, herein is the love of God manifested. Christ died for us while we were sinners. Not I got to make myself good and he'll accept me. He doesn't want that. He was good to us while we were sinners. What makes you think his goodness would stop while you're a saint? We have to remember who our father is, what his testimony is. Exodus 34, 6, this is the Lord speaking to Moses. He passed before him, Moses, and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding. That's overflowing in goodness and truth. The reason why I, I put this in Hebrew is to remind me, the Lord is not a um, title. Lord can be a title, but God is a title. El means stronger. Adonai is a title. It means Lord. But when it comes to that, that's his name. Yahweh. He said his name. 
to indicate that I'm not coming to you like when I used to work at a certain company, I would have to work with people as a manager. Therefore, when I came to deal with you, it was as a manager. There was a title involved. God said, this is who I am. This is who I am. And all of the things that come after who I am and abounding in goodness and truth is what came out of his own mouth. What is our testimony? Psalm 34, verses 4 and 9, I sought the Lord and he heard me and delivered me from all my fears. They looked at him and were radiant and their faces were not ashamed. This poor man, not this rich man, this poor man. I have no ability to get myself out. I have no ability to make myself right. I have no ability to shine myself up and make myself presentable. My righteousness doesn't come from my works. My righteousness was given to me by Christ Jesus when he took away my sins. This poor man cried out and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all of his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around all those who fear him, who fear him and delivers them. Oh, y'all read it. Sometimes we got to remember what God tastes like. The other day, oh, I'm going to tell on myself, but the other day, look, I stopped eating cheesecake for months. Months. Been trying to cut pounds and get lighter. And then the other day, man, I had a piece of cheesecake. It was like the best thing since sliced bread. I tore it up. I forgot what cheesecake tastes like. Oh, my goodness. It's like, what, have, what was I doing to myself to torture myself? I mean, I love tres leches cake, but cheesecake, come on now. It's just cholesterol and fat and just, just heavy, and you drink it with a cup of coffee, and it's just like, oh. <laughs> the only hallelujah we got today was over cheesecake. Wow. <laughs> How many times have we went back and, and, and remembered that God is good. We, we, we often get caught up in what God is trying to take away from us. What do you mean I can't fornicate? What do you mean I can't shack up? What do you mean I can't rob people? What do you mean I can't do this, that, and the other? And we keep forgetting the fact that, you know, when I wasn't fornicating or shacking up or robbing or stealing from people, life was actually pretty good and peaceful. It's like the children of Israel. Oh, that we went back to Egypt and had our leeks and melons and all that. And slavery! But we had food. And slavery! Oh, we had it so wonderful. We were beaten! <laughs> they don't remember those parts. Just like we don't. We have to then release what we have given power that gets us bitter. We have to forgive and trust our Father. We cannot give bitterness fertile soil to grow in. That's dangerous. I would not do you any good if I ignored the bitterness that I saw and didn't help you try to get rid of that acidic soil so that good ground could be planted in your heart. You may have things in your life that are trying to cause you to be bitter, but don't give it that power. Because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. And if you start giving, going back to God and fearing him and recognizing his power and stop giving power to those things that are trying to talk to your bitterness, you would realize that all it is is empty voices. You say, well, what if it kills me? 
the only thing it can do is destroy the body. It can't kill who you are. And nothing can take you out of the hands of Christ. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 31, verses 32. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be kind to one another, Blake. Stop torturing people on road trips. Tender hearted, which means I probably shouldn't snap back at you for torturing me on road trips and calling me old. Forgiving one another, so I forgive you for calling me old. <laughs> Even as God in Christ forgave you. I'm being lighthearted about that part, but guess what? How many times have we harbored unforgiveness because we just don't want... And that unforgiveness turns around and just stirs up bitterness and anger. And it's a poison that is killing us. And then you rejoice. You declare God's victory. You start proclaiming how good he is. You start hallelujahing where I don't think that's the appropriate term, but hallelujahing wherever you go. You start declaring that God is good despite what's going on, despite the circumstances, and even despite how you feel because none of that changes the truth. If they came in here and shot everyone in this church, does that change the truth that our Father loves us? If they came in here and locked us up and persecuted us, does it change the truth that our Father loves us? If I wake up with an upset stomach because I ate too much cheesecake and I say, I ain't feeling going to church today, does that change how good God is? No, it just means I overdid it on something and was being stupid. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16-18. Rejoice sometimes. Always pray without ceasing. In everything, give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus. It's a, it's, a, it's a wonder how much gratitude will take away bitterness. Man, I'm unhappy. Probation won't let me do this, and my wife won't let me do this, or my husband won't let me do this. Blah, 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 blah. My kids are just rebellious. My dad is... Wait a minute. Thank you that I'm able to eat. Thank you that I have a roof over my head. Thank you that I have fellowship. Thank you that I'm not in the street. Thank you that you have kept me in the midst of a car accident. Thank you that I'm not dead from that overdose that I should have been dead many, many years ago. Thank you that I'm not wrapped up for all the stuff I could have been arrested for, but haven't been arrested for. Thank you, God, for bringing me this far. All of a sudden, that bitterness starts to go away because Lucifer can't come to you and say, half God said, doesn't matter. This is what God said, and I'm standing on it, and I'm not allowing you to speak and influence my bitterness any longer. Matthew 5, 11 and 12 says, blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil things against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. They will persecute you, and it doesn't matter. It doesn't feel good, but it doesn't matter, because their persecution is temporary. But your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. And when you realize that, like, look, this may not feel good right now, but all you're doing is helping me to eternity where it's going to feel great the whole entire time. So do what you can do, but you have no power over me to turn my eyes away from God. Thank you, Jesus. 
Stephen could have had this same, Stephen did have this very same testimony. Oh, you're going to stone me for what I have to tell you the truth. You know what? I'm going to look up to heaven instead of the people that are stoning me and say, thank you, Father, for you have always heard me and do not lay this to their charge. There was recognition and there was forgiveness. And while they were stoning him, he said, you are only doing nothing but sending me on. Bitterness robs us of experiencing the fullness of the peace that we have with God. It robs us of experiencing the fullness of peace. And we've grown to just accept it and allow it to fester in our life, but it is robbing you of walking in the peace that you have with God. And so I urge you today to not give bitterness authority to not give those voices authority, to not allow them to continually speak into your life, but to continue to declare the truth of God's word and what not only he has said, but also what he has said concerning you, what he has spoken over you. And when you or the world or the flesh or the devil try to come in and say something that is contrary to that, rebuke that in the name of Jesus and go back to speaking the truth of what God has said over you and stand in the peace that he has given you. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you for your peace, your goodness, your love, your mercy, and just how you are towards each and every one of us. Lord, help us to give over our bitterness to you and receive the sweetness of your goodness and the sweetness of your peace. We thank you for what you bring into our lives, bad and good, because it only makes us stronger and helps us to understand your grace and goodness and glory that much more so. So, Father, help us on this road that we learn to release what holds us bound and we learn to receive the peace, love, and joy that you have, through, have for us through your Holy Spirit. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're getting ready to do communion. And after communion, for those who are willing. Who has the papers? Blake has, I believe it's Blake, has papers so that we have a nice fire outside burning. You don't have to do this. And doing this doesn't make it miraculous. It's just a signpost. In other words, like when they crossed the Jordan River and went into the Promised Land, they left 12 stones in the middle of the Jordan River. It wasn't magical. It was just a signpost in their life. We crossed over and we left the momentum. And so today after service, we, I'm encouraging you that if there is something that is bothering you, causing bitterness, and you are ready to let it go, to write it on a piece of paper, to say a prayer over it, Lord, I want to let this go and remove this bitterness in my life and take it outside to that fire that art has going and toss it into the flame. And let this day be a day for you if you choose to take advantage of that. To say, today, I may not be 100% there, but today I am working on releasing that which holds me bound in bitterness. When we take communion, we are remembering the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ, who loved us to die for us, and we didn't even show him the respect of him dying for us in the process, I'm trying to find which one it is.
And so, when you take this communion, I urge you to remember that while we look at Christ's suffering and say what a traumatic thing he did, he could have been bitter, but he did this because he loved us and gave himself for us to take our sin and be done with it and to exchange it with his righteousness. For I received from the Lord that which also I delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread. Father, we thank you for the bread which represents the body of our Lord Jesus Christ. We pray that this body which was broken for us provides healing for us and restores us into wholeness with you. In Jesus' name, amen. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. Father, we thank you for the blood of Jesus Christ shed for our redemption, our restoration. We thank you for the blood that removes sin and provides life. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. The Bible says, for often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. And as often as we get up and rise from this table, we show his life to all those we come in contact with. Would you all stand as we do the benediction? Blake will have the papers and we'll leave some up here. You don't have to write a book. You don't even have to write something intelligible. God can understand what's on your heart and what you're trying to communicate. It's just the action of saying this, Lord, I want to remove this from my life and I release it and I let it go and I receive your peace. I will be out there to pray with whoever wants to pray as we burn away these things which cause bitterness and interfere with our peace with our Father. Would you all lift your hands for the benediction? Now may the God of peace who brought up our Lord Jesus from the dead, that great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you complete in every good work to do his will, working in you what is well-pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ to whom be glory forever and ever. Let the church say, Amen, Amen and God bless you.